0: Good morning, folks. We want to welcome you to our Sunday School time here at the Kerbernsville Christian Church. And we are right in the midst of our study, the Days of the King, a study in First and Second Samuel and 1 Chronicles. And we're up to Lesson 24 uh, this morning. And we're in Second Samuel chapter 17 and chapter 18. Now I want to remind you that we are not looking at any material from Chronicles because at this point the Chronicler does not include this portion of David's life in his book that he writes. And we're looking in particular at the point where David's son Absalom has rebelled against him. And So if you remember from our study last week, we stopped with David fleeing the city and really Absalom heeding the advice of his advisor Ahithophel and raping David's concubines or his wives and making himself an abomination to, uh, to David. And so we're now coming to chapter 17, and we're going to continue to see the rebellion, the battle that takes place in the tragic ending. So let's take a look. We're not going to read through these scriptures, but we are going to go through and give you an understanding of what's taking place in these two chapters. So the first thing, chapter 17 starts off with some further advice from Ohithophel, some further counsel. So Ohithophel asked for 12,000 men to pursue David that evening. Now, I think it's very interesting that you know, we, we, when we talk about a conspiracy here, a coup d'etat, so to speak, we're not just talking about a handful of people who just took over the government. Remember that Absalom has gained, really, the hearts of the people. He's gained support of the people, you're going to see here soon, that he has the elders of Israel in his court. And so, basically, he has at his disposal thousands of warriors who are loyal to him. They would see that he, feel that he is the rightful king. So Ahithophel asked for 12,000 men to pursue David immediately that evening. Now, he felt that the sudden attack while David was weak would cause the people to flee David. So again, his counsel was, you know, if we attack him, And we do it suddenly, the people are going to be in panic, they're going to flee, and they won't be with him. He also says that in doing this, okay, at this point, he will kill David, and he will return with the people. So if they do this sudden lightning attack, 12,000 people scatter, they'll get David, they'll kill him. Once he's dead, the people have no one to cling to, So they'll return with him. He'll return with the people back to Jerusalem. So that's his plan. That's the counsel that he gives Absalom. This advice pleased Absalom and the elders of Israel. Isn't that interesting? So this isn't just a conspiracy of a few people. Absalom really has the nation. And they're rebelling against the one-time hero, King David. Now, it is interesting because when you read in chapter 17, you go a little bit further, Absalom called for Hushi to give counsel if Ahithophel was wrong. Now, I don't know why he did that. Must have been the Lord. But Absalom said, well, why don't we ask Hushi what his advice is? If he thinks the advice of Ahithophel is correct. Or if he's got something better. So she says, he stated that Ohithophel's advice was not good. So he comes in and says, oh no, that's not good advice. I wouldn't do that. Okay. So then he proceeds to give some other counsel. He give, begins to give some other advice here. So he stated that David and his mighty men would be enraged and not with the people so he would basically he basically describes him like a mama bear who's been robbed of her cubs that's how angry David is going to be and his mighty men are going to be and of course being the warrior that he was out in the field he's not going to be with the people so He says that the men sent for David would be surely defeated, and that would not reflect well on Absalom. So what Hushi is saying here is, okay, you send these troops out, these 12,000 warriors, David and his mighty men are angry, they're enraged, they're going to surely defeat these 12,000 men. Those 12,000 men are going to end up dead and defeated, and that's not going to look well in the hearts of the people that you are the king because you just sent some people after David and they couldn't do it. So that's not good advice who she is saying. He recommended that the entire army be gathered from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, get the entire Israeli army together, be gathered to Absalom and he, as he leads them in battle against David. So his advice is, okay, let's do it full force, not 12,000. Let's get the entire Israeli army, call them up from Dan to Beersheba, and we will go in mass, you leading us, Absalom, to go against David. Wow. Then the battle will overwhelm David and his mighty men, and no one will survive. So his advice is, okay, gather the biggest army you can. Gather everybody together. They'll go to battle, you leading them. They'll overwhelm David and his mighty men, and nobody will survive. There won't be any more mighty men. There won't be King David. You will win because you won with overwhelming numbers. Well, the text records that Absalom and the men of Israel felt Hushai's counsel was better than Ahithophel's advice. So as they're listening to this, they're like, yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to overwhelm him. We need to destroy him, get everybody, and let's do this. This is better advice than Ahithophel's advice. Now the writer, Samuel, of Samuel here, really gives you a perspective as to why they accepted this. He writes, the Lord purposed to defeat Ahithophel's counsel in order to bring Absalom to destruction. So the reason why they would accept Hushi's advice over Ahithophel is because the Lord had purposed in his heart to confound Ahithophel's advice, to overcome it, and to put Absalom in a situation where he would ultimately be destroyed. God's sovereignty is shown here. God's sovereignty. So now we move to verses 15 through 22 of 2 Samuel, and we're going to see that Hushai's got to get the information to David. So what follows here is the interaction of getting the news to David. So first thing starts off, she informed Zadok and Abathar concerning the advice given to Absalom. So you remember who Zadok and Abathar are? They're the high priest, the high priest and his his brother. And he's going and he's telling him exactly what was the advice given to Absalom, what Ahithophel said and what he said. Then the text records that Hushi wanted to send a message to David telling him to cross over or he will be overrun. Now, when you read the text and it says to cross over, what are they talking about, crossing over? Well, they're talking about crossing over the River Jordan. Because David is escaping from Jerusalem and traveling east. He's traveling east. And so you would have to cross over the River Jordan. So he either needs a crossover or he's going to be overrun because there's going to be this mighty army coming and the plains are not where you need to be. So Zadok and Abathar's sons, their names are mentioned in the text, they couldn't they couldn't be seen coming into the city. So if the situation is such that, okay, we've got to get news to them so that they can be the ones to go tell David but they can't come into the city, so they devise another way of getting the message to them. A female servant was sent to tell them the message to bring to David. So they got a female servant that would not be drawing any attention to anyone. She would go out, who knows, maybe carrying a water uh, jar or something, who knows. She would go out of the city to where they are at to convey the message. Now, the text does tell us that this foolproof plan isn't so foolproof because a lad saw them and told Absalom which resulted in their fleeing. Now, the, the term lad, that means a child or a teenager saw them, okay? And so Absalom is told and this results in their fleeing because now they're being pursued. They came to a man's house that is, outside in a village outside of Jerusalem on their way, they came to a man's house and hid in a courtyard well. So obviously in the courtyard of this house was a well, and so they hid in the well. A woman spread a covering over the well and then spread grain on it to conceal them. So basically, kind of like she then puts a covering on it and then, On top of the covering puts lots of grain, so it doesn't appear to be a well, but appears to be something that they're putting the grain on to get ready to uh, refine it. When Absalom's men came searching for the men, the women stated that they had crossed over. Now here it's not crossed over the River Jordan, it's crossed over the brook. They've gone on further in their journey. Okay? Gone on further in their journey. So, of course, the men are going to keep pursuing. So when they could not find them, Absalom's men returned to Jerusalem. So they returned to Jerusalem. They, they did all the searching they could. We couldn't find them, so let's head back. We're going to spend all day out here looking for nothing. Let's go back. That's what they do. So when The priest's sons, when they came to David, they told him to cross over because of Ahithophel's advice. So basically they said, cross on over, you need to get over the Jordan, you and the people, because of this is what Ahithophel has advised, they're not doing it right now, but you never know, they might change their mind, you need to get out of here. So David and the people crossed over the Jordan, and by morning, no one was left. So the implication is here, there's quite a few people here with David who fled the city. Of course, there would be warriors, there would be their families, there's quite a few people, the servants, and David gives the word, cross over the Jordan, and by morning no one was left. Now, if you go on, you come to verse 23, and it's very interesting because we get back to the issue of Ahithophel. When his advice was not taken, Ahithophel returned to his home. It says he got on his donkey, went back to where he came from, which would be probably whatever village he was from, he decided to go home. When his advice wasn't followed. Now this is interesting. He's one of the major conspirators here. And when his advice wasn't taken, he left. And here's what it says. He set his house in order. That's a good way of saying you're getting ready to die. So you're putting, getting all the preparations ready, kind of setting it in order as far as what's going to happen when you're gone, and then hanged himself. He committed suicide. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, you're kind of like, wow, what, what is going on here? I mean, his advice wasn't taken. Why would he go and do that? Well, my friends, I think Ohithophel is smart enough, because remember, they're the ones who used to say his counsel was like the oracles of God, something that would be heard directly from God. He's wise enough and smart enough to know that Absalom's going to be defeated. That the odds are against them. That by not listening to him, Absalom has signed his own death warrant. And because Absalom is going to be defeated, that means he's going to die as well. And probably what's going on in Ahithophel's mind is, I would rather take death into my own hands than face the fury of David. Because he betrayed David. He was David's best friend. In fact, I'll just give you a little side note, folks. You can go and look at it yourself. Psalm 41 and Psalm 55 are psalms of David in which he refers to his friend who betrayed him. He would write about that in his psalms. So Ahithophel decides he's taking his own life. He goes back home, sets his house in order, he kills himself because he knows what the outcome is going to be. He knows that this isn't going to go well. Well, the scripture then, the last part of 17, is Absalom crossed over with the army of Israel. So again, I'm telling you, for the most part, the people of Israel were with Absalom in their rebellion against David. There were, he had their hearts. So the army of Israel is with him. How do we know that? Well, he made a fella the commander. So Absalom made Amasa commander of the army in place of Joab. So there's this guy by the name of Amasa. He then is made the commander of the army because it used to be the commander of the army was Joab, but Joab is with David. So now this guy is made the commander. Now, it also points out that Amasa was a distant relative of Joab's mother. He was a distant relative of Joab's mother, which means, folks, that he would have also been maybe a distant relative of David. That's why Absalom would have chosen him. It also tells us then that Absalom and the army encamped in the land of Gilead. Now remember, Gilead was over to the east of the Jordan. It was the area that was given by Moses to two and a half tribes if they would go and help the rest of the tribes take the land. So he encamps in Gilead. Now, the text also tells us that David was provided food, supplies, and bedding by supportive friends. So of course, as they're going along, They're going to be helped by people who still support the king, and the text is telling us that here. In fact, it mentions their names. Now, when you come to chapter 18, this is where the battle with Absalom is listed. Okay, So this is one chapter, and I'm actually quite surprised because most of the text doesn't even really talk about the battle because it's not much of a battle. You'd say, well, all of the army of Israel against David's troops. Yep, but notice what's happening here in the text. First thing David does is he numbers the people with, with him and set commanders over them. So when you say number, what do you mean by that? He's taking a census? No, he's just kind of evaluating how many troops you have. If you're going to have a battle, you need to know how big your army is, right? So he he numbers the people and then sets commanders over them, commanders over tens, tens of thousands, and so forth. He divided his men between his three great commanders who are with him. So he divided his men between Joab, Abishai, and Atai. So remember, Joab and Abishai are brothers. They're the sons of Zariah. And Atai is the uh, Philistine mercenary commander who is with David, who is serving David. So they have been given command, basically dividing the army into three parts. David wanted to go with them. Now this is interesting. David is a warrior, so he wants to go with them. But the people, the commanders and the people, they insisted that he remain because he was important. They basically said, you are the most important one here. For us to die, it doesn't matter. We can run and flee, but if you die, then all is lost. You need to remain behind. And, of course, he does. But here's what he told the commanders. David told the commanders to deal gently with Absalom as all the people listened. Now, here's what he does. He basically says, okay, when this happens, I want you to be gentle with Absalom. Basically, he's basically saying, don't kill him. You just capture him. You bring him back to me. And he said it in a way that it was not just the commanders, Joab, Abashi, and Atai, who hear it. He said it loud enough so that everybody there, all of the soldiers, all of the people heard him say this. This is significant because it's going to come back into the passage later. Okay, Come back into the passage a little bit later. So David remained in the stronghold, and his men went to battle. His men went to battle. Now, here's what the text tells us. The two armies met in the woods of Ephraim. Okay, so that would be back over on the western side of the Jordan. And David's army prevailed. Now, think about that for a moment. The army of Israel is coming against David's army. And they are probably more in number than what David has. But I'm going to explain something to you. You've got to remember who David's army is. David's army includes his mighty men, his commanders. It includes these 600 warriors, these Philistine mercenaries that have been with him ever since Gath. These are hardened battle veterans. And the reality is, is that when the army of Israel comes against them, they cannot prevail. David's army prevails. It says that the army of Israel was defeated by David's men as 20,000 were slaughtered. 20,000 men of the army of Israel were killed because they fought against David's men. Now here's what I'm going to try to help you to understand. Do you remember all of these wars and battles that David has won so far? He's, he's beaten the Syrians to the north. He's beaten uh, Ammon. He's beaten Edom. He's beaten Moab. He's beaten the Philistines. What was the key to all of those victories? Because this is the same army here. The key, my friends, are the ones who led them into battle. The key is the... the The men of David, the mighty men of David, who were the commanders. Who knew about warfare, who knew strategy, who knew how to defeat. And and what you see here is that without the mighty men of David to lead them, they're like any other army. And David's men, even though they are less in number, defeat such a great number of people. This is amazing and but then the text also tells us because they're fighting in the woods well the writer points out that more were killed by the woods than by the sword so whatever that terrain was like the terrain itself killed a lot of people more than had been killed by the sword and it's uh, just totally amazing totally amazing Well, then the text, really, when you come to chapter 18, it gets into something very interesting. And uh, what it tells us is that uh, what happens in verse 9, Absalom has a problem. And it has to do with his long hair. Remember, he has this long hair, the hair that he has, he cuts it once a year because it's so heavy. It's these, these gorgeous locks that he has on his head. Well, those gorgeous locks give him some problems. So he's riding along in the battle on a mule. And, well, Absalom became entangled in a tree by his hair and was left hanging by his mule. Now, I can't even... I don't, it must have been thick or something... But somehow his hair got caught in this tree, a terebinth tree, and he's left hanging there, and his mule goes on. So he's hanging by his head from the tree. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I can remember years ago, this would have been 30 years ago, I remember receiving a cassette of a sermon from a Christian camp where the speaker talked about the rebellion of Absalom. The rebellion of Absalom. And uh, I'll, I'll point out two points that he pointed out here. He pointed out, really, the main point was, is that it was Absalom's long hair was a sign of his rebellion. And it was his long hair that got him in trouble, and his long hair that ended up killing him, and it was his long hair that was the issue. And so people, you don't need to have long hair, because it's a sign of rebellion. Now back then, when I was a young man, that sounded like a pretty good but good message to hear, and uh, even though I didn't have long hair, I had really short hair, I always have short hair, uh, I thought that was really good message. Now, here I am, all these years later, I would say that message wasn't worth listening to. Because that's not what the text is saying. Absalom was rebellious, yes, but his long hair had nothing to do with it. In fact, no one thought anything about his long hair. They just commented on how beautiful a hair he had. But it's his long hair that got him in trouble in the sense that he got hung up in a tree. Now, the text goes on then and tells us that somebody saw Absalom hanging by his hair and told Joab. So some warrior is out there And he's looking and he sees this guy hanging by his hair and he realizes that's Absalom. So what does he do? He goes and tells Joab, hey, Absalom's hanging in this tree. Now listen to what Joab does. Joab asked if the man killed Absalom, stating that he would have been rewarded. In fact, it's interesting, the reward. He would have given him a sum of money, a sum of silver, and a belt. A belt. Now, obviously, belts must have been pretty significant. You and I would not see that as a reward. Hey, thanks for doing that. Here's a belt. That was obviously something in their culture. Did you kill him? I would have rewarded you. Well, the man refused to kill Absalom because of the king's wishes, and he feared for his life. This guy's pretty smart, okay? First of all, he remembers that David said, deal gently with Absalom. He remembers that. He also says, because the king said that, if I had killed him, Joab, you would have been one of the first ones to execute judgment on me for killing the king's son. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So here's what happens. Joab decides, okay, I'm done talking. Let's move on here. So Joab took three spears and personally killed Absalom as he hung in the tree. The text says, he took the three spears and pierced him through the heart. Then he had ten men who were with him cut him down and kill him. Brutal, brutal killing here. Brutal killing, that's the implication of the text. Now, Joab then blew the horn and recalled his troops from pursuing Absalom's forces in the battle. So basically, Joab calls an end to the battle. He tells his men who are being victorious, who are pursuing the Israelites, Israelite army, stop the battle. In fact, the text says he had to hold them back. They were like ready to, I mean, they're angry. They're mad that people would rebel against David. They're wanting blood. Joab is holding them back because there's no need to battle anymore. The key figure in the rebellion is dead. Absalom is dead. So here's what they did. They threw Absalom's body into a pit, and they heaped rocks over it as Israel fled. What a burial. Not much of a burial. Somewhere in the woods of Ephraim, they threw his body in a pit, and they just piled rocks on top of it. Now, the writer does tell us something interesting, and I think it's very significant. The writer points out that Absalom once set up a pillar to memorialize himself. Obviously, at this point, the text refers to the fact that he says he has no sons. Well, that's not true. We know later on in 2 Samuel 14 that it lists that he did have two sons and a daughter whom he named Tamar. But obviously, this had taken place before those sons were born. And Absalom made a memorial to himself because he said no one would be there to remember him. And it is known, as the writer says, as Absalom's memorial to this day, Absalom's stone. Now, somehow David's got to be told about this, and so the rest of the chapter is about the conveying of that news. Now, there's a fellow here by the name of Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, who wanted to bring David the news of the victory. So there's a guy who says, I'll go. I'll be the one. I want to take David the news. Now he is the son of Zadok. Now who's Zadok? A priest. So this is obviously a priestly guy. who is. This is one of the priests who is with the army. He wants to bring David the news of the victory. Now it's interesting because Joab refuses. Joab refused his request because the king's son was dead, and rather he sent a Cushite. So he doesn't want to send this guy. The king's son is dead, so we need, so rather I'm going to send a Cushite. Now, who is a Cushite? Well, a Cushite is what we would know today as an Ethiopian. The land of Cush is the land of Ethiopia. So this is obviously a Cushite warrior or servant who is with David, somebody that David knows. And Joab wants to send him with the news. Now, you could read into it as to why or why not. Uh, The text doesn't tell us. Remember, it's a narrative. We just have to go with what the text is saying. So after uh, the Cushite left, Ahimaaz wanted to run to David. So this guy is persistent. Let me go. Let me run to David. I want to run to David. Maybe he's wanting to get out of the battlefield Maybe he's wanted to be with David. Maybe he's wanted to bring some kind of news. He just wants to go, okay? He's being very persistent. Joab allowed him to run to David, and he outran the Cushite. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I mean, this guy must have been really excited. So Joab says, go ahead, go ahead. And so the guy takes off, and as he's running down there, he outruns the Cushite. Obviously, the Kushite isn't as excited to get there, maybe, or maybe physically isn't like this other guy. But Amahaz is able to do that. All right? He route runs the Kushite. Now, David, the text is telling you, is waiting at the gate, and he sees the runners coming, and he sees two runners, one running ahead of the other. And so he asked who it is, and he's told it's Amahaz, and so he knows that he's the son of a priest. Well, that's a good man. It must be good news. So Amahaz arrives first and told David of the victory, but he didn't know of Absalom. So he's telling him the news, king, you've won. The king is like, well, can you tell me something about Absalom? Can you tell me what's going on? I, I don't know anything about Absalom. I don't know anything about that I know there was this tumult I was no there's chaos going on but I don't know anything about him I just know you won well there's another running coming and basically David says okay you stand over here I want to hear what this other guy says well the Cushite arrives and when asked about Absalom reported that he was dead in fact, the way the text says it, it's very interesting. The Cushite says, May all of the king's enemies be like that one, meaning he's dead. He's dead. So here's what happens David was deeply moved by the news of Absalom's death, and he mourned his son. In fact, if we look at the text, here's what it says verse 33. Then the king was moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, here's what I want you to see, folks. You're like, wow. This is the guy who was out to kill you, David. This is the guy who was overthrowing your kingdom. You're on the run. Why are you acting this way? Because he's dead. And even in spite of all this, he loved his son. And so chapter 18 ends, my friends. Tragedy. And you know what? We can trace it all back to chapter 11. David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And all of this is a fulfillment of the prophecy Nathan the prophet gave him in chapter 12. And that the sword would never depart from David. And this is what we're seeing here. You're saying, wow, George... I guess it's over now, right? No, no, remember the passage says the sword will not depart from your house. David still has many more things yet that will happen. And we're going to see that as we progress on in 2 Samuel. And so now we come to chapter 19 next week where we're going to see David's return to Jerusalem and the events that took place after that.